may we weep alongside them. For those who mourn, may we mourn with them. May we bring comfort to those who need comfort. May we bring aid to those who need aid. And most importantly, may we share your incredible gospel to those who haven't heard and those who don't know. Jesus, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me make sure this is right. If you look in your bulletin, it says that Pastor Lawrence is preaching on Philippians 4, and I'm not Pastor Lawrence. Um, so, a little background. On Friday, he called me. You wouldn't even believe it after seeing him now. He, with a very frail voice, Danny, I have strep throat. I'm at the doctor. Can you prepare a sermon just in case? Can you look through you know, a sermon you previously prepared and see if um, maybe I might need you to, to preach this Sunday? So, I said, okay. And I begin to pray about it. Um, so I'm Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint. And the sermon will be on prayer, but it won't be from Philippians 4. It'll be from a sermon that I preached a couple years ago that God really touched me and worked even in my own heart as I prepared it and gave it. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 118 this morning. Um, so we're in a sermon series going over the missions and values of Waypoint Church, focusing on what we're calling plumb lines. Um, and these are the plumb lines. These are the things that we believe God has called us as a local church with a global heart. And these are our visions and our values. These are the things that we want to trust God with. Next week, we're going to look at stewardship. And uh, this week, we're going to look at prayer. And the sermon that I'm going to give this morning, instead of just giving a sermon about the theology of prayer, we're actually going to spend a lot of time praying. And praying through a really, really powerful an amazing psalm. So before we look at Psalm 118, I have a question. What is prayer? And more specifically, what is Christian prayer? So if a coworker or a friend came up to you, some of you are already shaking, and said, what is prayer? Or why do you pray? Or who do you pray to? Would you, well, how would you answer them? What would you say? Talking to God. Amen. Sister Jan? Yeah, she's thought through it. Some of us might be terrified to answer that question. Some of us, the simplest answer, yes. Talking to God. Um, so when most people think of prayer, though, think about prayer in general. Um, how, do they, how do they approach prayer? What do they think about prayer? And I would argue kind of the genie in the bottle or the ATM. So I put a picture up. Of a genie. So this is Aladdin, a Disney movie based on a, an, an old story that came out maybe 20 years ago. And uh, next slide. I found this picture online. It's basically like you wish. I remember as a child when someone would say, if you get three wishes, what would you wish for? And my answer always was, my first wish, wish would be as many wishes as I want. I was a very greedy, self-centered person. God is, I still am, but God is humbling me and working in my heart. But I, I was like already, I, I mean, I probably came up with that answer at age five. Like I knew about the genie in the bottle. I'd never seen one or anything, but it, that would be my answer if I ever was to get the three wishes. So you see this image. Now I want to show you something cool about this image. When I was a child, I had a children's Bible that my grandparents gave to me 
and I used to carry it around. Go to the next image. And um, it had one of these, what I thought was called the genie in the bottle, but I realized that this is an ancient lamp. Most of them would have been clay, but some of them would have, the more wealthy people would have had one made of brass um, like this. This is an actual lamp that was found in ancient Egypt in, uh, during an archaeological dig. And if you look at the passage below it, so in this children's Bible I had um, that I carried around to church with me, it was my Bible, I still have it, I just, I just saved it. And it, on the front, it had like the, you know, when you open the thing, it had one of these lamps, an ancient lamp, and it said, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. It actually was written in King James. My grandparents gave me a King, you know, back in the day, they loved the King James. And I remember thinking about that little lamp. Years later, I read Psalm 119, and I was like, wow, the lamp is just enough for our feet, just enough for us to take a step. It's not a spotlight into the future. And that image has always stuck with me. So I think it's very fascinating that the same genie bottle that the world created, if you just rub the bottle, you get your wishes, is actually the lamp that's a path that gives us just enough light to make it through each day. And, it, and God's word is that lamp. So that's a little side story on uh, prayer, thinking about it. I, before we go in and pray through Psalm 119, I did want to, 118, I did want to just give a couple quotes that I found. Some famous uh, people throughout history, pastors and Bible teachers have said about prayer. John Piper says prayer is intentionally conveying a message to God. John Wesley said this on prayer. God's command to pray without ceasing is founded on the necessity we have of his grace to preserve the life of God in the soul, which can no more subsist one moment without it, like the body can without air. Martin Luther, who we actually are celebrating this month, 500 years ago, he began the Reformation. Basically, his whole life was prayer. He was like, prayer is the way that we communicate with God. There's nothing else we have. It's, it's life. It's, it's our, we have God's word, and we have this method of communicating with him. And finally, Pastor Tim Keller says this, prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. We must know the awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking his help. Any of y'all have ever done those? The awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking his help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. So that's just a little theology of prayer. This morning's isn't a topical sermon on prayer. It's more getting us down on our knees and praying. A couple years back, a, a method of praying it was called the Acts Method. It kind of swept the country. It was, I don't even know where it came from. A lot of American Christians uh, did it. You can put that up on the screen. It's using the acronym ACTS, like the book of ACTS, but it stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. While this is not the only method, or even the best method for all situations, it's a helpful way to approach prayer. And this method has helped a lot of people. How many of you actually have done this or been affected by this method? Probably more than 60, 70% of the room. It's, it's been good for me, because it keeps me focused. I think why this is good for modern people and especially modern Americans is it's easier for us to get distracted when we pray. So this is say, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Um, Psalm 118 covers all four of these elements. 
but its major focus is Thanksgiving. So why a Thanksgiving psalm during a time when so much tragedy is going on in our nation and in our world? Um, we do have many, many things to petition God for right now, and always, just like the ancient Israelites did. We're always petitioning God. We're always asking him. Now, interesting thing about this supplication, the final one, which is asking God or petitioning God, most of the time our prayers are self-centered, like my genie in the bottle, right? We're like, God, do this. God, do that. God, if you just do this, then I'll be happy. But actually, most of the time the scriptures teach us supplication should be for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done and for this heaven to come right now to earth like Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. So we think about these things, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And this morning we're going to focus on thanksgiving. And particularly how God has raised up Waypoint Church and Journey Church to merge. So we, we can be truly thankful right now. And as the tragedy is going on around us, God is raising up a church that can address the tragedy. We can be the light of Jesus to people who are suffering. Whether they're suffering great tragedies, maybe a death of a child or, or even smaller tragedies, just day-to-day -day things. We, God is building us up so we can be thankful for that. Uh, many Hebrew scholars believe that this psalm, Psalm 118, was always used in the temple as they worshipped. It was actually sung. And uh, it was especially used on days of dedication and celebration. So what a greater time that two churches are mer merging together in this beautiful building. So let's just take some time to pray and pray the actual psalm that the ancient Israelites would have prayed. Um, if you do a detailed study of the Old Testament, you'll notice a pattern or cycle that the Israelite community continually, to, continually fell into. Anybody ever thought about the cycle? I remember when I was in Sunday school as a kid and we'd learn about the Israelites and put the cycle up. I, I made this, but this is kind of my summary. Blessing from God, thanksgiving, apathy, sin, really bad sin, <laughs> Judgment or discipline from God, repentance, oh God, we're so sorry, restoration, blessing from God, cycle continues. I remember as a kid going to Sunday school, hearing about the Israelites, and I remember asking my mom, like, why do we learn about the Israelites so much? Like, what about the other stories in the Bible that are cooler, like Samson or something, and, and like the specific stories, not about how the people continually disobeyed God, but I guess Samson's in that, that story, that greater narrative. But I remember thinking, maybe when I was a teenager, wow, that's me. I do this. I, I, this cycle, even though I'm saved by grace and I have Jesus, most of the cycle is, is what happens in my own heart when I don't focus on God. So when God sets up this nation, he pulls them out of Egypt. He sets up a nation. He gives them his law. He includes a system of holidays and reminders that allow them to be in a continuous cycle of thanksgiving and repentance so that they can fully trust him and fully rely on him as their source and strength and generally avoid the cycle. This history, the, the history shows, but history shows that they, they just can't break out of the cycle. They needed what? They needed a Messiah. They needed an anointed one, a savior, once and for all to break the cycle. Psalm 118 is a remembrance and thanksgiving psalm. 
It was written to be sung around the time of Passover when the Israelites were to remember that God brought them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt to the promised land. Actually, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 are called the Egyptian Hallel. Hallel means praise in Hebrew. When I was a chaplain at Boston University with international students, the Jewish group on campus is actually called the Hallel group, which is pretty cool, like they're still using the Hebrew word. But the Hallel Psalms are these psalms where they remember and they praise God for pulling, taking him from bondage and slavery to the promised land. And Psalm 18 is the final one of those psalms. Um, in the same way, we can remember that God brought us out of this bondage of sin into his light and into his kingdom. I mean, into his kingdom of light. Interesting, uh, this is really, really cool. Jesus quotes this psalm multiple times. And we know that it would have definitely have been a psalm that the, that the uh, disciples would have sung. If you look at this passage from Matthew 26 uh, about the Lord's Prayer, uh, the Last Supper, sorry, not the Lord's Prayer, Last Supper, at the end of it, it says, Jesus, you know, tells them what to do. And then it says, when they had sung, and when they had sung, sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Because this was the time of Passover, every scholar believes they would have sung something between Psalm 113 and Psalm 118. So this is an actual, this, this psalm was sung in the temple. It was sung in the synagogue. It was sung by our Lord and Savior before his passion. This is really, really cool. We get these words, this praise to God, this remembrance of deliverance, but this, this thanksgiving. So we're going to look at it this morning. So let's read and reflect on Psalm 118. I'm going to ask Erica to come up. And basically the method is, is you're going to make a little altar where you are. If you want to kneel, that's fine. If you just want to sit and pray. Um, and I'm going to give a, a teaching point a summary of, of this little chunk of Psalm 118 and a theme. Erica will read the passage, and then we have a stringed instrument. A lot of the songs ask, call for a stringed instrument. This one doesn't call particularly for it, uh, but we will have a stringed instrument, and we're going to just stop and pray. So the first prayer point, give thanks. When I was a children's pastor, I would always walk in the room, and I would say to them, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his faithful love endures forever. So I'm going to start off with that call to praise, and we're going to shout this one out. I'm going to say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then all of you are going to say, his faithful love endures forever. Okay, let's try it. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Amen. So we're going to be reading from the New Living Translation, which I believe does a really good job of putting it in modern English and making it really come alive to us. So... We're going to start off by giving thanks to God. So Erica will read the passage, and then we'll go immediately into a time of prayer. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priest, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let's give thanks to God.
God, we give you thanks. We praise you that your faithful love endures forever. There's so many things in this world that don't make sense or at the moment they don't make sense. Or we, we, but we know that you came 2,000 years ago and showed us your love. And the psalmist could cry out even before you came, knowing your promise, the promise you made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And we know that your faithful love endures forever. God, may we cling to this promise and may we always be people of thanks, of thanksgiving, and of praise. Amen. The next one I want to look, let us to look at. He is our helper. It says, in my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. Now, there's other psalms where the psalmist cries out to the Lord, and God doesn't answer immediately. So this, it's, again, not the ATM or the genie in the bottle. It's, it's, a, it's the loving God who knows exactly what we need when we need it, and is using us to build his kingdom and to, to love him and to love others and point others to the hope found in Christ. But in all of it, he is our helper. This is a, all of you need, how many of you need, want a helper? I remember my supervisor just a couple weeks ago was like, what do you need? And I was like, I need a secretary because I'm not good at admin. I need a helper. All of us need help. There, all of us have weaknesses. But most importantly, all of us are broken people standing before a holy God who's like, I'm here to help you. And at the time of this, when this was written, the Spirit hadn't come in all its fullness, like Jesus promises in Matthew, I mean in John 14 to 17, and, and is fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. But even in that, we can, they knew they could cry out to God that He was their helper. What do you need help for today? Do you really believe that the Holy Spirit is living in you and walking beside you? That He's your advocate, He's your counselor, He's your comforter? We have a helper. Cry out. To the helper. What do you need to cry out to God for this morning? Whether it's personal in the world, let's spend some time crying out to our helper. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. God, we praise you because you are a helper. You are a comfort. We thank you that we can cry out to you. Amen.
He is our refuge. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. I love how the New Living Translation does this. Amen, right? I can just walk home. We can just end the sermon right there. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princesses. In princes, sorry, not princesses. I got too much Disney on my mind. My daughter, princes. The screen's really small up there. I should be reading from this. But either way, what this means is, okay, some people trust in people. Princes, princesses are the one with the money. Our trust doesn't come in what people think of us. Our worth is in what God thinks of us and who we are because of his life and death and resurrection and how he sees us as a redeemed people. Our trust isn't in money. It's not in the great things of this world. Yes, money is important. Money allows us to, to build God's kingdom, but that's not where our, we take our refuge. We take our refuge in the Lord. What, are you, what is God calling you right now this morning when it, when it says he is our refuge? What are you taking refuge in instead of taking refuge in the Lord? Take a moment to pray through that. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Father, we praise you that you are a refuge. May we always seek refuge in you and not the things of this world. Amen. He is our rescuer and our help in battle. Now, the wording used in this actual psalm is more real battle because these are the Israelite people going into battle. We know now that the battle for us as his church is a spiritual battle. And sometimes it seems like the enemy is winning when you hear about 60 people being shot and 500 people dying because of one man's evil and 600 people being wounded or 500 people being wounded. We feel like, God, help us in this battle. There's so many, whether it's personal battles, whether you hear about North Korea or you hear about the strife in Congo or in Sudan. I mean, there's people in this room right now who are living here because of strife somewhere else. They're literally our refugees, like they had to leave and go somewhere else. 
but we know he's our rescuer, our help in battle. And we're not going to win this battle with swords, but we're going to win this battle with prayer and, and, and trusting his spirit. And one by one, chilling people, pointing people to hope found in Christ. Let's pray and thank God that he's our rescuer. And just pray for the battle. Pray that we as Christians would be people who fight the battle through prayer and through being his church. Though hostile nations surrounded me, I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded and attacked me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like a crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. Father, we thank you that when we cry out, you rescue us and you help us in battle. There's a real spiritual battle going on right now. And you won victory on the cross, but it's not complete. We're in the battle. We know that we have final victory in you, God. Help us to fight the battle each day and to trust you in the battle. Thank you that you are a rescuer. In Jesus' name, amen. He is our strength in our song. Any of you like work out and you have like your, your headphones and you have your workout song? My son's raising his hand. Like there's, like I'm a child of the 80s and when the song Eye of the Tiger from Rocky Three comes on, I really get motivated. The song, The Final Countdown from Europe, like that pumps me up. Like it gets me really, really excited. It's not a Christian song or anything. There are some Christian songs that I love. Actually, in Can It Be, the song we sang last week is one of my favorites. Um, Hark the Herald, I'm actually going to preach on that around Advent time, a little preview. That's, that song gets me pumped, but when I listen to Eye of the Tiger, I just want to go, like, do something. I, I play baseball in high school, so I just want to go play baseball. And he is our song. He is our strength in our song. This is good news, guys. All of us need music to lift us up. And just like you, some of you really can't get going until something inspires you, some kind of music, some kind of something in that realm. That's how we are. We need him to be our strength and our song. And thank God that he is. That I don't have to rely on Eye of the Tiger to make it through every day. I don't have to rely on coffee to make it through every day. I can rely on Jesus. Let's pray. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. 
The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. God, I praise you that you are our strength and our song. May we always live in that victory, that we'd be always singing your song individually and corporately. Even in 10 minutes or so when we worship together, may we be singing your song and thank you that you are our song. He is a loving father who disciplines his children with love. Wow, this one's not fun to hear. I, I coach Derek, my son's flag football team. And uh, it's nine through 11-year-old boys. We have one girl on the team. And yesterday, a kid kind of cheated, but the ref didn't catch it. And all of a sudden, the team fell apart. Derek's still mad. I mean, just looking at his face. Like, my team fell apart. Like, me and the other coach, we could not calm them down. They felt like an injustice was done. They didn't even want to play the rest of the game. And they started really yelling at each other. They started doing, and me as a coach, I had to discipline them. Because the goal is they got to get better at football. They got to learn that you can't let one little thing rattle you. And I hated every minute of it. Like kids were falling apart. They were yelling at each other. I had to like look kids in the eyes and say, hey, you need to stop this. You need to not worry about what the ref does. And you need to focus on your position. And this is a trivial thing. But I had to discipline them. I have to discipline my children. I hated being disciplined myself. When I played baseball, when we, every time we had to make an error, our coach would make us run a half a mile like two times around the track. I hated every minute of it. I hate running. I joined baseball, not cross country. <laughs> but it was good for me. It made me, a better, it made me in better shape, but it also made me a better baseball player. And th this is trivial. Baseball is going to pass away one day. I don't even play baseball anymore, so that, that was trivial. But the disciplines that my parents gave me, but more importantly, most importantly, the discipline that God gives me. He, he's not doing it because he doesn't like me. He's doing it because he loves me. And the psalmist here interjects all this praise and thanksgiving, saying, thank, you, thank God, thank you for your discipline, because we need it. What does it mean for God to discipline you? And, and how is he allowing you to be disciplined? And what is he doing to test you, to, to, to refine you, so that your worth will be more precious than silver and gold, like we're promised in the New Testament? Ask God, say, God, look around and say, what, what are you disciplining me right now? And, and and ask him what that means and, and how you can learn from that discipline and continue to be his disciple. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die.
Father, none of us like discipline, especially when it's happening, but we know as athletes, musicians, students, and especially children, that proper loving discipline helps us grow and it points us on the path that we need to go. May we be children who accept your discipline and, and accept your love as you discipline us. He is the gate to salvation. This is good news. The door is wide open. The psalmist who wrote this had, had an image of what this Messiah, this anointed one, would be like, but they'd never met Jesus. We have the living God. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We can actually read the words and, and experience Jesus. We know he came and died and rose again 2,000 years ago. He is the gate to salvation. What, you, what, is, what are you asking God for? What, what do you need to be set free from? Are you really, is he your salvation? Yes, we know he's our salvation. He saved us on the cross, but are, are we able to live that each day? And to ask him to open these gates so that we can enter into his presence. We don't have to go through, beg and plead to be in the presence of the living God, the creator of all things. We have direct access. The gate is flung wide open. Let's praise him for that and, and just spend this time asking him, when are you not entering into the gate and trusting in his salvation? Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. God, we thank you that you made a way for us to be saved, to have this good news, to, to approach your throne. May we always believe the gospel. May it transform us every day. Thank you for the way to salvation and for new life in you. He is the cornerstone. Jesus actually quotes this passage about himself. When they, you know, he quotes this psalm. I don't know much about construction. I'm learning a lot by being part of Journey. I think about Randy and some of the people who had to build this building. You know, the cornerstone, if the cornerstone's good, everything's going to be okay. Our faith is built on Jesus Christ. Everything is going to be okay. Even if earthquakes come, hurricanes, tornadoes, our cornerstone is set. We, we have a solid foundation in Christ. Let's praise God for that. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it.
Father, we praise you that the cornerstone came and our foundation is firm in Jesus Christ. Amen. For these last two, number nine says, he is the one who hears our cries for help and saves us. And number 10 says, he is the sun who shines upon us. And then it goes back to giving thanks. So as um, we're going to just pray through this corporately, um, not just individually. So what I'd like to do is if you stand, if you can, and uh, Erica will read. And I don't know what it was like in the assembly of Israel. I mean, the building probably wasn't like this, but they read these words out loud and the people rejoiced. And we're rejoicing because we can cry out to God and that the sun is shining upon us. In, in Malachi, there's a prophetic word about the Messiah, the anointed one that will come. And it calls him the sun of righteousness will shine upon them. And that's a prophecy about Jesus. So let's hear the word. And then I'm going to do a closing prayer and the band will come up. So let's hear the word together. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with cords on the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. The band can come up and I'm gonna pray. Father, I thank you for this time of prayer. I don't know why you called me to preach on this this morning, and, and, but I, I, I know why, because we all need to take time and reflect and thank you and praise you and see what you're doing in the assembly, the place where you dwell. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for joining us together. Be with us as we trust you with many, many years of being salt and light in this community, being the kingdom of God that reaches our neighbors and reaches the world for Christ. Let us praise you in song. Let us give thanks to you, for you are good. Your faithful love endures forever. Amen. Amen. Uh, this song we have a song. Uh, it's a reflection.